Special shout out to one of our favorite media companies at Crooked Media. While hosting brilliant podcasts like Positive America, Hysteria, This Land, Love It or Leave It, and more, they even fund the things that matter. Chip in to the No Off Years Fund to support the work of organizers in key states who are making sure all eligible voters are registered early so they don't face any problems in making their voices heard next year. Your donation will be supporting frontline efforts in Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Wisconsin, places where new voters will help make the difference in our ability to win in 2022 and beyond. I myself have donated to the cause and look forward to seeing the outreach we can create. Check out votesaveamerica.com. That's votesaveamerica.com to find out more. Welcome to the first episode of Capital C's. I'm Charles Greenley. And I'm Nathan Crunkleton. Let's get into the hill. So, we're going to go straight into abrupt news time on the hill, or I like to call it the Ant Hill. There will be more Capitol Hill puns in the future, don't worry. Nathan already knows the deal, but for you lucky listeners, you'll get to hear us quickly give some words on news that occurred this week, or this past month, that we aren't delving too hard into this episode, but feel like it still needs to be covered. We both get 60 seconds for our spill, just to make it more fun for both you and us. Nathan, you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Alright, and I'm going to start the timer here, and I'm going to go up first. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, has been busy this past month after his successful evasion of the recall vote. A large amount of Democrats were worried about what would happen in the state, but instead we get great new legislation to be excited for instead of a Trump-esque governor. What's Governor Newsom done, you ask? Signed a bill to keep menstrual products stocked in public schools and colleges. Signed a bill to outlaw stealthing, the act of removing a condom without consent during intercourse. Signed several other bills in comfort of a CA comeback plan to provide children everywhere in California with more and better opportunities in education. All of this while he can continue to boast about being the governor of the state with 85% of the eligible population being vaccinated and currently having the lowest COVID rate in the U.S. The man has been on a mission. And I honestly finished with 15 seconds left on the clock, so I am good. Nathan, if you're ready, go ahead. Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics recently filed a Hatch Act, uh, Hatch Act complaint after saying that the White House would do, uh, after Jim Psaki said that the White House would do everything they can to help former Governor Terry McAuliffe in Virginia. With that, Psaki admitted that her mistake, recognizing that she would have, uh, she should have spoken for the president rather than for the White House, and that quote, words certainly matter. The watch group, however, acknowledged that Saki's comments came nowhere close to the, quote, outrageous offenses of the Trump administration, but that we cannot be casual about the compliance with an important ethics law, which is a nice change of pace compared to what we've seen in the previous four years. With that, Saki has promised that she will be more careful with her words and hopes that uh, this will not happen again. Again, uh, before the minute timer, you had 13 seconds left. I think we're doing pretty good so far. Uh, and I'm going to go with my next one, which, of course, is going to be about Donald Trump. Donald Trump, former president, made an interesting choice of words in one of his most recent press releases, and I say that with quotes, saying, if we don't solve the presidential election fraud of 2020, which we have thoroughly and conclusively documented, Republicans will not be voting in 22 or 24. It is the single most important thing for Republicans to do. End quote. Yeah, he said that. Essentially, it's hope being that the large majority of Republicans in government will continue to regurgitate his big lie if they want his good favor and endorsement in their own upcoming elections. 
Perhaps his good favor is a non-factor, though, according to the new Pew Research poll. On October 8th, showed 44% of Republicans want Trump running again. While a third of that same Republican poll rather he not have any more national coverage as a Republican at all. Granted, we know we can only take polls with a grain of salt these days. You know, I think it's only fair if he wants it out there that I should continue to share it to as many people as I can too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think everybody needs to know that one. Um, and it's on to you. Uh, I finished with five seconds left there. Yeah, no problem. Uh, well, Charles, I got a question for you. What's that? Did you know that uh, 40,000 Gucci-toting migrants are heading towards Connecticut? I wasn't expecting that, no. Well, Lindsey Graham sure does. And uh, not only do they, quote, have better luggage than Senator Graham, but they are enjoying cocktails at the old Greenwich Yacht Club. Uh, Lindsey was quick to jump to collusions, however, uh, saying that it wouldn't be long until the U.S.-Mexico border crossings uh, would be, quote, another 9-11 in the making. Now, Charles, let's face it. Uh, is there an issue with border security? Yes. Did Trump's glorious wallet that, Mex uh, that Mexico paid for solve these issues? Not necessarily. We're still talking about it. Uh, so even if these Gucci-toting individuals are crossing the border, it's not something new, and it's not something to hold Joe Biden responsible for. Truth is, we need reform on all bases, and we got to find a new approach to a pathway to citizenship. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I like that. I mean, if he does find some Gucci-toting, um, I, I probably need to get them to come my way. and um, instead of Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd love to hang out with these guys if they're walking around with Gucci suitcases, man. <laughs> So, you guys had it and heard it here first. Um, that was just a fun little thing to get us started into it. Hopefully, every episode can start like that if um, Capitol Hill keeps giving out news that is worthy. So, just to start it off, since this is the very first episode, um, I just wanted to get some introductions done. Uh, I, first of all, want to thank Nathan for joining me on this crazy endeavor of a political podcast because I was starting to lose my sanity mentioning cinema to people and thinking I was talking about a movie theater. I am not kidding, it's happened maybe 10 times already. Uh, I gotta ask, what, what made you agree to co-host? Yeah, Charles, um, well, I, I thought it was a great idea. Uh, you and me have had a long relationship talking about the greatness that is Pod Save America. And uh, so you present this opportunity to me and I was like, you know what, let's do it. Um, I think we're both passionate and knowledgeable when it comes to the political world. And uh, it's gonna be an adventure and let's see where it goes. Right, and I mean, I, I'm sure some people will wonder just how I know you um, from the beginning in college. Uh, being college educated um, and a Democrat uh, seems to be hand in hand these days, apparently. Um, sure, think so. But uh, we did meet in college, and we were also in the same fraternity. Um, and I think that just shows a little bit more of the camaraderie we have and how we can talk about this stuff uh, as easy as we do. And I know. Uh, Nathan actually has been doing some national things with that as well so it's also really cool to see something that kind of spread out into the world uh, that we kind of live in now so I mean yeah, you have any thoughts and things about uh, the national work you have going on about it uh, yeah for sure um, of course I don't speak on behalf of our fraternity but, but um, I, I think it's an awesome opportunity to see two fraternity men sit down and have a pleasant conversation weekly about the political world and uh, provide some commentary on it. You know? uh, with everything happening in our society, uh, it's awesome to take a step back and just talk about what's happening um, and just, just have that great positive outlook moving forward. Honestly, I, I couldn't put it any better to myself. Even right before we actually started this podcast recording, uh, he told me about what he said to one of the recent colleges he visited um, about how he kind of fits his 
own occupational and studies into what he's doing now. If, I mean, if you want to go ahead and regurgitate that quote, because they liked it and I liked it too. Yeah, for sure. Um, so basically I told them that uh, at the end of the day, uh, I, this work relates to me because I'm a consultant to them and these guys are my political campaign. And uh, I'm going to help them out in any way I can to help them win that election and uh, be the best man that they can be. And again, couldn't say it any better myself. Um, I think having that kind of knowledge is super helpful um, inside this podcast itself, just because you're going to have a good global, um, or maybe not global, but national look on things as you kind of move to and fro as well. Um, so I think that gives you a little more experience um, and qualifications to be on the podcast. But I mean, what else do you have uh, that you would say would be some experience to bring to the fold or what actually does make you qualified to talk about politics? Yeah, for sure. Um, so first and foremost, I graduated with a degree in political science. Um, as Charles mentioned, we attended the same university. Uh, I'm currently achieving a master's in political management with a concentration in electoral politics. Uh, outside of that, I do have real-world uh, work experience working as a campus coordinator for a gubernatorial campaign in South Carolina, as well as running a uh, state legislation, uh, legislature campaign uh, as a campaign manager. And so uh, I feel like I have enough experience and uh, enough of an outlook to be able to kind of comment on these things. I agree, and that's honestly half of the reason why I asked you to co-host with me, because I think uh, having your views on it helps tremendously, especially as you are studying it as we are going through as well. Um, I, for one, don't have that much qualification. My qualification comes from aptly listening to podcasts. Um, like Nathan has said, Pod Saves America has been on my list for a while, Pod Saves World. Politico has been um, something that's been on my browser for many a years and since high school. Not really sure about why Politico was the main thing taught in my high school, but we removed past that. Um, but I also have Flipboard and other apps um, completely uh, coming in with notifications every other hour um, just so I can keep up with what's happening in the news. Um, as for experience-wise, I did do a little talk show um, in the radio while I was during my college years. Um, and it was about politics, and which made it really fun because that was during the Trump years, and that was, I think, his first year in office. So there was a lot of things going on, um, and it was pretty fun to talk about the stuff, and I, I kind of felt that need uh, to bring that back. See, Charles, I think that's one of the great things about uh, our society today, and especially in the podcast era, is that uh, people like you and me who have very different experiences and very different outlooks can kind of come together and talk about these things. Um, we might not have the same experience by the end of the day. We share the same vision for this podcast. And uh, I, I think that shows that anybody and every that politics is for anybody and everybody. Exactly. I mean, it is called a democracy for a reason. Um, hopefully that continues to be the case. But for right now, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to do some off-the-cuff stuff and have a little game plan for you. So, Nathan, uh, inflation and some kind of talk to me, Charles. Some kind of weird world on social media right now is being called Biden inflation. I'm not not thinking about it, not talking about it. I just wanted to mention that is the stupidest thing I've seen so far. But uh, I go to the gas station quite often uh, where I am in North Carolina. And 
in the span of three days, which honestly about every three days I, I could guess, uh, the price went up 20 cents. And meanwhile, I'm seeing news on chicken shortages. Um, I'm seeing meat prices go up. I mean, bacon prices are increasing. What in the world is happening? For sure, for sure. Um, I, I mean, trust me, I, I definitely I feel the effects of it as well. Uh, living in Washington, D.C., you know, uh, gas is not cheap. And uh, traveling across the Midwest 24-7, um, I get to see all the fun different gas prices and how they change uh, just 20 miles down the road. Um, and, and that goes for the chicken shortage as well. Um, I remember I was sitting on a flight the other day, and they, they literally were talking about how they can't eat chicken wings anymore. Um, and I, I think one thing that we got to keep in mind is that uh, we're nearly two years into a pandemic, uh, and we're still not quite out. But uh, as things start to open up a little bit, uh, resources are quickly going. And uh, if you want to blame the president, that's one thing. But uh, any economic professor or at this point, any economics dummy will just tell you that <laughs> supply and demand uh, is something that exists, man. Exactly. Um, I think some people are even talking about it now. You know, when COVID hit, supply was ramping up. Demand was at an all-time high, so supply ramped up. That's just as simple as it is. Now we're facing ramifications of it because we exactly. we pushed that supply so far up, and we are now on the low end of what we have in reserve. Um, and therefore, we're seeing these uh, shortages and increase of prices super quick. Um, but it kind of feels like capitalism <laughs> is showing its ugly head that we might just be in a little bit of a squid game ourselves, yeah? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, uh, we're not going to take down capitalism one pot at a time, but um, I think it's definitely something that's fair to talk about. And, uh, I mean, you have to ask questions and you have to sit back and think, is this really how our system is supposed to work, uh, where the rich get richer and not pay taxes and the poor gets hit with higher gas prices? I mean... I'm, I've got to be honest with some of these gas prices increasing. I think I am taking the slap for the hundred thousand won. I, I got to be honest. Yeah, I mean, at this point, put me in the game. Um, I, I can't really tell you any games I used to play on the playground, but uh, we'll give it a chance. <laughs> Maybe some hopscotch. We don't have Squid Game, but we have hopscotch. We can do that. L listen, man, I don't, I don't know about any hopscotch. I'm getting a little old. These joints don't work as good as they used to, man. <laughs> You're telling me. And welcome back. So, for our next segment, I have a game called Love on the Political Spectrum. I can't get in trouble for that, right? Right? I'm, I'm just going to roll I, I think with it. I, I think we're good. I'm, I'm just going to roll with it. We're a little low-key right now. So. <laughs> so, viewers and Nathan, I have here a list of politically charged topics, and we're just going to get to talk about where we fall on them. Of course, oh, it's not that easy. The spectrum will be defined by our dear old friends in the Senate. So your answer should be either our leftmost friend in Bernie Sanders, Democratic Senator of Vermont, our currently not-so-loved moderate Democratic Senator of Arizona, Kirsten Sinema, Susan Collins, our left-leaning Republican Senator of Maine, or the Zodiac Killer himself, Ted Cruz, who continues to be the loud voice of the right as a Republican Senator of Texas. Obviously, we aren't being specific in their senses on the topics, just a theoretical point in the range that is this current two-party system. 
So from left to right, Sanders, Cinema, Collins, and Cruz. You ready? Let's do it. So, on a political spectrum, where do you fall on abortion? Uh, when it comes to abortion, um, I, I think it's clear and simple for me that Bernie Sanders is probably who I closest align with. And any reason? I mean, it's just one of those things that is self-explanatory. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pro-choice to a T. Uh, I believe that every woman has the right to make their own decision. Um, and I, I don't think there's much to question in that decision. Uh, and it's something that should be left up to themselves. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, after saying what we saw with RBG and the almost immediate consequence of something that had to deal with abortion come from Texas and the Supreme Court not doing anything, obviously I'm still on the left with Bernie Sanders as well, um, just because that is just something that should be left to the people that it has to deal with. Um, and exactly. I, I don't think there's anything else to say about that. Now, what about immigration? So when it comes to immigration, um, I, I, I'd probably still side with Sanders a little bit. Uh, Sanders is a little bit to my left when it comes to it, uh, but I'm definitely an advocate for a pathway to citizenship. Um, I, I don't believe in these racial undertones that get sought out by Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham, for example, as we spoke about earlier. Um, I, I think that there is an issue, but it's something that we have to address delicately. And remember, at the end of the day, that it's that immigration is a human rights issue, not a border security issue. Right. Uh, I, I'm pretty much on your same boat. I think I probably am a little bit more moderate, so I would go with cinema. But I'm not saying I'm with cinema on this. She is um, in Arizona, so obviously it's on the border. So there is some things going on with her with that specifically. But um, I think just immigration in general has been kind of coined as the Mexican border when we have seen very recently that that is not the case. Um, Afghans uh, are, are coming in from just being refugees of the entirety of that situation. Um, and we're also seeing a couple of news about the Haitian immigrants that are trying to get um, out of their country as well. Uh, so it's a lot going on that we have to keep in mind and that it's not just what the Mexican wall is. Um, it's definitely a lot bigger and a lot more expensive than that. And that's why people um, really just want a more civilized way of doing it. Obviously, you don't really get that all the time. Uh, the Afghan situation is exhibit A for that. Um, but I, I'm on the same side as just kind of making it a form that doesn't take 12 years, but also doesn't leave gaps in. Exactly, for sure. Uh, spot on with you. So what about um, a pretty increasingly uh, powerful topic here uh, with gun control? I, and I've... I'm going to be honest with you, Charles. I hope that was the one that you're going to say next because uh, it's going to come quite a surprise. But uh, I'd probably have to identify with Susan Collins on this one. Um, you know, both of us being from the South, um, it's something that we both grow up with um, in, in our area. And I, I do believe that the Second Amendment does exist. But at the same time, I believe that there needs to be uh, adjustments and definitions to what is owning a firearm in today's society. Yeah, so <laughs> surprisingly, uh, we're both on the right on this one. I'm honestly probably more to Cruz's side. Um, in general, I for a long time was kind of scared of guns. And then a couple years ago, I got my own gun. 
just today I was walking in Walmart and somebody had their gun on their hip, which is not uncommon in the South, just like uh, Nathan had just said. But at, at a certain point, I realized that if there was really to be gun control, the best way of controlling it is if everybody had guns. And I know that sounds really weird, um, but it's just the fact that if you can't protect yourself when somebody else wants to harm you, then it's just going to be a backwards uh, kind of deal where you can't do anything about it, and now we're fighting about guns. Um, while here in the other stop, you might have the school shooting um, that you've seen recently, and more and more often as well, with a kid from high school who was getting bullied, um, and actually ended up bringing a gun to school, and this time retaliated with the gun. Obviously, that's not okay. Um, at a certain point, that kind of gun control has to be limited. Um, underage, um, black market guns have to be limited um, just because at some point you realize if they're not going to get it from the lawful way of doing it, they're going to go the illegal route. Um, so I think if it's regulated properly, um, I think if you don't have a gun, you probably should. For sure. I, I, like I said, I think we're spot on with that. Um, I, I, there's a age old commercial that always comes to mind of a man who walks into an office with a musket from the 1790s. And, uh, at the end of the commercial pretty much says like guns have changed in our society. Why well, haven't gun laws? And I think that kind of hits it nail on the head. Uh, when it comes to the issue, guns are going to stay in our society, but, uh, we have to be able to adapt and, uh, make changes when necessary. Right. I mean, you said it yourself. You believe in the Second Amendment. Second Amendment has been around for a very long time, so obviously there needs some amendments to the amendment, um, and that's just what really is the only issue with that I can see with it. But other than gun control, uh, we're going to switch sides from the physical to the financial. Uh, what do you think about personal taxes? Uh, so I'm definitely going to side on the Sanders side of the things when it comes to this. Um, I, I think Senator Sanders is spot on. Uh, uh, Joe Biden has become very uh, clear in his messaging as well that uh, everybody should pay their fair share. Um, the Musk and Bezos of the world uh, are getting lucky breaks while people like you and me uh, are seeing tax hikes uh, and largely due to the Trump administration. Um, and so I think it's time for change and for, uh, for people to start paying their fair share. Yeah, 100% with you on that. Sanders is uh, my type of view as well. Uh, taxes in general have been a levy on the poor and the blue-collar workers for far too long um, when a lot of people are taking advantage of those same blue-collar workers um, and not paying any taxes with it just in general. Um, there's actually been a couple of good reports done um, for like the past, I think, two or three months, I think. Uh, the first one came out that we're just stating on how these rich are getting over on these taxes and finding these loopholes. Um, and every accountant has these loophole knowledge, um, which I think is even more crazy to me, that they go personally seek out the ones that can get them the most money. And it almost kind of feels like the lawyer kind of situation where if you do something bad, but you get a really good lawyer, are you still bad if you get off? It's kind of one of those situations. And I, I don't yeah. like it um, personally. Um, because personal taxes has become, in a way, almost stealing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think you're spot on. And uh, like I said, I think it's time for serious reform. And uh, it looks like that's what the Biden administration is moving to. So, Right, and especially with their 
uh, BBB and the BIF coming through. Um, I don't really like saying those, but the infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better plan um, are coming through. And I'm not going to say the number that has been talked about or has been going over things, but essentially they're going to try to tax the rich to pay for some of that um, uh, number. And again, I don't want to ostracize that number because I think people would think, ooh, scary. But um, uh, I think personal taxes obviously is a better feature for us than it is for the rich. Yeah, for sure. So the next topic um, is kind of staying on the same type of kind of pathway. What about universal health care? Uh, so when it comes to universal health care, I, I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but uh, I, I definitely feel like I side with Senator Sanders on this one. Um, I, I think the Obama administration laid out a path for health care for all. Um, and I think it's something that we need to keep building on. Uh, and something that will be making a massive change over the next 10 years um, and starting to head in the right direction uh, after a quick four-year hiatus with the Trump administration. Yeah, uh, honestly, when Trump got in there, it's kind of like we kind of forgot all about the economy, and all of a sudden it became um, who could shout louder. But <laughs> that's not what we're talking about anymore. Uh, universal healthcare definitely on the left with Sanders for this one, for sure. Um, we are, what, the one of three countries that are in the developed world that still do not have some type of universal health care. And honestly, it's a shame. If we really do want to start for saying this, make America great again, universal health care should probably be number one on the list, um, considering everyone else is doing it but us. Um, but I, th I think it's just something that's so crucially needed, um, especially now with COVID. Um, and we're starting to see that older generation really hit that booming stage where uh, Social Security and retirement come into fact really quickly. Um, so if there's not going to be anything done with universal health care, it won't get done until another 10 years. So something to be looking on, look out for. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, you were kind of spot on uh, talking about how we're one of three developed nations. Um, I mean, overwhelming public op opinion states that Americans are in favor of universal health care. Uh, the political game of the former administration, uh, the courts have upheld Obamacare time and time again. You can't, uh, you can't beat yet, the economists. They'll, they'll fight for that tooth and nail. <laughs> yep. And yet at the end of the day, it seems that the orange man transplant in Florida uh, is the only one who really wants to speak out and say no. So, <laughs> yeah, somebody has to get their uh, their brownie points where they can. It seems like. But, yeah, I, I guess so. And then kind of switching gears um, another time here. Now we're going to talk about kind of just environmental um, and social aspect. Uh, what do you think about climate control? Yeah, um, uh, once again, uh, Senator Sanders all day. Um, I, I think climate control needs to be a forefront of our policy agenda. Uh, if it's not something we address now, it's something we'll never get the opportunity to address. Um, you know, things are worsening and it's time for us to take some self-responsibility and make the changes that are needed, both both on a personal, governmental, and corporate level, uh, to kind of address sustainable energy uh, in in our society. Yeah, I'm with you again on this as well. Centers on the left for sure. Uh, climate control has been a problem for way longer than it has been a problem for people that are presently on Earth. Um, I mean, we've been doing studies uh, about climate control since the 1970s. We still haven't really done any kind of type of 
good things for it. Uh, we've been kind of saying, hey, if it doesn't affect me, then it doesn't matter to me. Um, and even when I was in like middle school or high school, I think that was um, a lot of the thought from just the peers around me. And obviously we were a little underdeveloped at that age. But even I had the thought at some point, I was like, well, I mean, hey, if it's not going to affect me, why should I care? Um, obviously that's changed a lot. And we've honestly started to see the actual remnants of not doing anything about climate control as we start to see the heat kind of last a little bit farther into the fall than we'd like. Um, and just in fact, the heat itself being higher than it has been uh, for several years um, just inside this last summer. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I think experiencing that heat and seeing those conditions that are that are happening has, has played a massive role. Uh, I remember growing up that we always talked about the United Nations Sustainability Goals. Um, and everybody was like, wow, this is a really great thing that the United States is leading on. Uh, and as we become more educated on the issues, uh, both individually and as a society, uh, we see people like Greta Thunberg speak out and uh, at such a young age be becoming an activist on this issue. Uh, and it, it's becoming clear that this is a issue that's impacting our society now and will continue to only worsen if we don't address it sooner than later. Yeah, 100% agree. And kind of keeping on that same type of pathway, um, what do you think about mask and vaccination mandates? So I have a hard time kind of fitting um, into a particular one of these four options just because uh, it seems like three of them seem to be on the right path. Um, and with obviously Ted Cruz being the, uh, the, the one left out of the group. But um, I, I, once again, I'll have to side with Bernie Sanders. Um, I believe that each and every one should get the vaccine if they're able to. Uh, and if they're not able to, or if they're in a situation where they're necessary, uh, follow CDC guidelines and wear a mask. Uh, it's not a political issue. It's a matter of science and health and safety. A hundred percent. I couldn't say it any better than you did right there. I, I think the fact that mask is become a political issue is crazy to me. And that's why I kind of put it in here because it doesn't really belong. Out of the ones that we have talked about, this one is the one that say, oh, well, I mean, is that left or right? Don't really know because it's honestly humanity or not humanity and yeah, I, th exactly. I think that just says right there what it really means uh to be for mask or against mask um and i'm honestly just like you i have i have a hard time putting myself in a, a political spectrum for this just because it does seem like most of the world is on the same page um and even though i, I do say that i still think i might be somewhere in the middle um just because at this point i'm getting tired of seeing or I don't want to take your vaccination. I don't want my mask. Um, I'm more on the, the hinge of, I mean, if you're not, uh, then don't, because uh, you're only hurting yourself. Um, I'm protecting myself with my mask, and I'm trying to protect you with my mask. Um, if you're not going to do the same for me, then I, I think they have to learn the hard way. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I think part of it is that there has to be that self-responsibility of you're only hurting yourself. Um, but part of it also is still being considerate to other people. You know, I, I think your spot on assessment of it being a humanitarian issue, first and foremost, um, getting vaccinated and being humane, uh, because if you're vaccinated, you're more likely to not carry and hurt other vaccinated people. Um, and, and so I, I think it's definitely a two sided or uh, 
two-sided sword uh, on this issue. Um, but I think there's one simple solution to uh, that. Right. So you've heard our sides on the political spectrum. You can kind of tell that me and Nathan are both pretty liberal in most aspects. I, I might find myself a little bit more centric sometimes um, just because I think I have uh, the mindset of trying to put in two sides a little bit more often than I should. Um, for some reason, you might you know think of me as biting in the Senate for that, trying to lean over the, <laughs> the owl a little bit. Um, but I, I think that shows a, a good bit of what we are and how we think about politics. And uh, if one thing didn't become clear, uh, it's definitely that uh, neither one of us are Kirsten Cinema. So <laughs> that's hundred percent true. We don't need to think about Kirsten Cinema um, and uh, Mansion. We don't, you know, we just put them out of yeah. our minds. We the left yep. or we're not. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm too, too problematic. I'm just, I'm not trying to deal with that, man. A hundred percent agree. All right, when we come back, we're gonna do a little bit of conversation piece. Um, kind of sort of about masks um, and vaccination mandates from our friendly Republican governor of Greg Abbott. And then we will finish off with a a new segment called Capitol Hill or Hidden Valley, uh, where we talk about who is being the good ones and who are being the bad ones. Uh, Stay tuned. And we're back. So this conversation piece is going to be about Greg Abbott. Like I said, uh, he is a Republican governor of Texas. Uh, if you don't know who he is, you've probably been under the rock for probably around a month and a half. Uh, his abortion ban went into effect last month and has been met with plenty of outcries. And I'm sure most people have heard or know of this already. However, Greg seems to be back again in the signing seat as he signs an executive order denying Texas entities the ability to mandate vaccines to employees and citizens alike. What do you think about that in general? Yeah, you know, Charles, um, time and time again, uh, I just kind of sit back and I look at Greg Abbott and I go, what a hypocrite. Um, um, You know, it's just everything that he does one week earlier, it's a polar opposite of what he's trying to mandate. And I I just, I don't think it's very clear of what, I I think this largely speaks to, you know, kind of Republican priorities at the moment is what they actually stand for when it comes to uh, issues such as vaccine mandates versus abortion. Right, and I mean, that's pretty much the, the core of this type of um, type of legislator, honestly. With, I, I mean, I just think it's just a little suspect, and I, I'm going to bring in even Fox News and maybe probably 90% of the Republican Party in Congress with the fact that as they were spouting the nonsense of don't get vaccinated, if you don't want to wear your mask, don't wear your mask. Uh, these people were wearing their masks, they were getting vaccinated. Uh, Greg Abbott is confirmed vaccinated and has also received his booster, yet he is still saying these things. Um, I mean, do you think he is only doing this for his constituents to maintain that vote? Yeah, I mean, if you look at it from a political aspect, um, you look at people like Governor Abbott, uh, you look at people like Tucker Carlson. Uh, these are people who were first in line to get the vaccine. Um, and and it, it shows that they are speaking to their 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 choir, that they want to hear their praises and they want to, they want to say what their constituents want to hear. Yeah, and I think that's probably was part of the uh, problem of just media in general at this point, um, just because 
you can say what you want and do the totally opposite thing and and just get away scot-free um just because people are only seeing uh what they want to see yeah for sure and, and i think we could host an entire episode on tucker carlson alone when it comes to the, this issue um but I, I mean at the end of the day uh your actions are going to speak louder than your words. Um, and, and I think Governor Ab- uh, Governor Abbott showing that he was first in line to get the vaccine, that he trusts the booster, shows you where, where his his morals truly lie. Yeah, and talking about where morals truly lie, I actually saw a comment on Instagram. I know Instagram of all places. But they made a good point. They said, so you can decide to get a vaccine, but you can't decide to get an abortion. And I never thought about it, but he's wholly pro-choice in this absolutely nonsensical medical method to treat yourself without having to be treated after the fact. But he's he's not pro-choice when it comes to uh, choosing what to do with inside of your body already. I mean, I, I feel like it's a little ass backwards. I, I mean, you know, the Republican mantra of 2021 is uh, my body, my choice, your body, my choice. I, <laughs> I, I think, I mean, that hits a note on the head. Um, I mean, the head on the note. Whatever you want to say about that, um, I, I just can't fathom or get my head around the fact that the Republican Party continues um, to feed this nonsense um, and I, you know, it always comes back to the thing of, are they doing this for Trump? I mean, do you think Greg Abbott is currently leading the race in Trumpy's trophy case? I, I mean, I, I think there's definitely that influence there. Uh, I, I think it's hard to say what Abbott is doing uh, right now. Uh, I think there's not very much clarity of what the Republican Party is. Uh, there's not truly a leader as Trump is kind of hiding in the shadows. Uh, McConnell has gone missing over the last two weeks. <laughs> Who uh, found McConnell? He blinked and now he's gone. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I mean, it, it's just a very weird time to be a Republican. Uh, and, and so I think Abbott is a prime example of saying, well, this is what I think Trump would say. So let me do it. Right. And so, I mean, this is going to make this next question pretty hard uh, based off what you said right there. I mean, do you expect some endorsements to come from Trump for Abbott? I mean, or do you expect the Republican Party to continually endorse him with these same uh, kind of outlaws and cries? Or do you think they're going to go back into reality and kind of distance themselves from this? I mean, at this point, Charles, you could put me in a dark room with a dartboard and spin me around three times. Um, I mean, who knows? It's, it's really hard to say. Uh we see Trump making these offhand endorsements of people who have actively spoken out against him in the past. Uh, but at the same time, we see Trump staying loyal to the people who stay loyal to him. Uh, and even in Virginia, for example, uh, with Glenn Youngkin, uh, we see him asking Trump not to campaign, uh, even though he has ran a pro-Trumpian campaign for the last year and a half. Uh, I think it's very telling of what what has happened. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. When we were talking about this even before the podcast started, um, especially with the poll that I was mentioning uh, during Ant Hill, I-, I think I'm not entirely sure if the whole of the Republican uh, Party in government right now knows what side they want to be on when it comes to Trump or 
Republican Party, quote unquote. Um, at this point, I don't even know if I should call Trump's version of the Republican Party the Republican Party. And I, honestly, I think we need uh, some type of moniker for this inside the future. Uh, but I mean, do you think that they're they're kind of splitting apart? I mean, I know we talked about this earlier. You think that the 33% or the third of that poll that uh, said that they don't want to see Trump in a national uh, Republican kind of role. Do you think they want to see a another party? And I, I, I think I've heard a couple of Freedom Party uh, come up a little bit. I mean, do you think that's a, a real case? Yeah, uh, I, I definitely think it's a possibility. Uh, I mean, we look at, we look back at um, Andrew Yang, for example, on on the Democratic side, and then you look at what's happening with a uh, cinema and mansion. Um, we, Democrats are the ones making the news right now, but the same thing is happening work with the Republican Party. Um, th- there are definitely vocal people in the Republican Party that don't want to see Trump as the candidate in 2024. Uh, but at the same time, there are people who are going to fall in line and not have a backbone because they know it helps them politically. Uh, so I, I think that there's definitely um, in a time post-January 6th where we could see a Trump party form. Um, we know that he is always going to have his loyal base no matter what he does or what he says or what platforms he gets banned from. Uh, and so it's just a thing of time will tell, and it's the question of what will happen in the Republican primary and if Republicans will take a stand. And then the, of course, unpredictable factor of who the hell is Donald Trump? We never know what he's going to do next. Right. Um, I, I think you pretty much actually hit it on the head on that one. It really does boil down to this next um, election of Republicans um, and what they are going to stand for because these elections are probably going to be the cement for the Republican Party in the future. Um, just like how you saw kind of Obama and Biden coming in in 2008, that kind of cemented the Democratic agenda in the future. Um, I think what happens um, in the in the near future now with midterms um, really will depict what the Republican Party will be in the future and if that is a home for Trump and his supporters or not. But other than for that, sure. we're going to go into our last segment. And we're going to call this Capitol Hill or Hidden Valley. I know, going with a Capitol Hill pun again, um, we're just going to state who and why someone should be in office or disappear from our lives forever. Um, Nathan, who do you have in the Hill for this week? Yeah, so I, I actually did not pick a uh, elected official um, for my Hill of the Week, um, but I did want to give a quick shout-out to former President Barack Obama uh, coming back out and hitting the campaign trail uh, out in Virginia and trying to uh, steal the deal for Terry uh, as Election Day is quickly approaching. Uh, and it's just good to see him in the limelight, good to see him back on the campaign trail. Right. Uh, even as you told me about it, I was like, yeah, that's a very good pick. Um, Obama already has a pretty healthy following. People liked him. Maybe not uh, his time and policies during office and what got done, but just his demeanor in general is kind of helpful for any kind of Democrat. And if um, I'm being honest, I would much rather have an Obama than I would have a Trump at my side. But <laughs> so, I mean, my person going into Capitol Hill for me is going to be Gavin Newsom. Um, I just talked about him in Ant Hill. The man has been on a mission. Um, if every governor needs a recall scare to put them 
with some enthusiasm and legislation i'd say let's just recall them all um because this is just different uh I, I think uh having someone go and put these kind of legislation bills into into talks and inside the general social atmosphere um is somewhat needed as i was saying with a democrat needing an agenda um, the fact that some of these laws weren't already laws nationally, as opposed just to even federally, um, is is honestly quite surprising. I mean, stealthing is has been a term for a very long time, and the fact that it had a term and had a negative connotation of a term, um, and still was kind of looked over, uh, seems to be a little strange uh, to me. Um, so seeing things happen to fix it is has been a, a glee of joy. Yeah, I, I think Newsom. Uh, I, I think many were worried that we would see a Scott Walker esque uh, governor uh, governance uh, post recall, and kind of just fall in line with his party and see what hold on and write out his term. But uh, it's good to see that he is right right in the spotlight. Yeah. So I mean, we talked about the good. Who do you have in your hidden valley? Who do we not need to see for another four years? Yeah, so uh, my uh, Hidden Valley Ranch, uh, speaking for a potential sponsor in the future, <laughs> um, I, I got Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates. Um, you know, two uh, people who we just adore to talk about. Um, definitely not quiet by any means. Oh, people but, uh, who, who love to talk themselves, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, it, But it just recently came out uh, that their Put America First pack uh, FEC filings have showed that they are down to $13,000 on hand, um, which for those who don't know much about political PACs, is not great. Um, and, and so I think it's a little telling of their messaging. Uh, and, you know, uh, Gates' uh, relationships is what we'll call them, uh, speaking nicely, uh, that it doesn't bode well uh, for these two powerhouses in the Republican Party moving towards the future. Right, I mean, I, I I think it's safe to say that the super pack kind of lost its super. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, the way it's going, it's time to super pack their bags and uh, get out of Congress. <laughs> I, I like that one. I like that. I'm gonna have to steal that one. Oh, I mean, my Hidden Valley uh, person has someone that you probably haven't heard about, um, especially not with the things that are going on right now in the government, but Janice McGeechan. Uh, she is the lieutenant governor of Idaho, and this has got to be the funniest situation I've heard of this month. Um, if you don't know the chain of command of state government, well, in most states, when the governor is unavailable to govern, the lieutenant governor then becomes the acting governor. Well, this is also the case when a governor leaves the state. Janice made sure to use the opportunity to the utmost ability as the actual governor of Idaho, Brad Little, came back to find that McGeechan put an executive order out to deny the ability for schools and universities to require vaccination. McGeechan tweeted, and I quote, Today, as acting governor, I fixed Governor Little's executive order on vaccine passports to make sure that K-12 schools and universities cannot require vaccinations or require mandatory testing. I will continue to fight for your individual liberty. Of course, Little quick, quickly repealed the executive order upon his return. Not surprisingly, but still funny, McGeechan has also made it painfully obvious that she will be running for governor in the next election with the slogan, Make Idaho Free Again. Surprisingly, and even more funny, both McGeechan and Little are Republican. Honestly, I think McGeechan might need a little early retirement to Hidden Valley, if you ask me.
Yeah, I, I, I mean, talking about what we talked about with Governor Abbott, uh, who the hell knows what's happening with the Republican Party, whether it's Texas or nationally or Idaho, for example. Uh, I mean, it's just it, wild times to be a Republican, man. Um, appreciative that I don't have to worry about that issue. <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, I, don't, I don't. We both uh, have made our views clear that we know who is on the left um, and we aside with them far more than who's on the right because who knows who they are going for anyways alright listeners if you made it this far then thank you for the listen and I can't wait for you to hear what else we have in store in our next episode we'll be talking about the redistricting that is currently taking place as well as the upcoming midterms yeah uh, ex- excited to talk about it. Uh, it's going to be interesting with anything and everything you could think to happen, uh, from the state of South Carolina getting sued to, uh, you know, crazy maps all over Twitter. So uh, let's dive in and have a fun talk. We'll also be taking a closer look at the who's who of the Senate and get all of you acquainted with who we inevitably will be mentioning in the upcoming months. Uh, I mean, obviously, you've heard us already say mention a couple times, cinema a couple times, uh, Sanders, of course. Um, and some other people on the right wing that we will be bringing up plenty more. Um, of course, if anything happens to pop up on Capitol Hill that week, we'll be sure to cover it as well. Because after all, we are the Capital C's. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the creative efforts of Charles Greenlee and Nathan Crunkleton. To stay up to date with our upcoming podcast episodes and when they will be updating, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Capital C's Pod. That's Capital, like Capitol Hill, C-S-Pod. Thanks for listening, and we will be back with more from the Hill.